Hello everyone. Good morning. Today um, we're going to look at justice. Where we've, as Marky said, we've been looking at um, the Micah verse that God requires of us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before God. So today, let's um, have a look at what it actually might mean to act justly. What a time it is to be talking about justice. This series was planned maybe back in January. Um, and so Marky couldn't have known um, the way things would be by now. We've just had the horrific killings of uh, George Floyd and of Breonna Taylor. Um, by police in America, and it's brought centuries of racial injustice into sharp focus um, and resulting in um, the Black Lives Matter protests, keeping um, the cries of, of uh, the cries for justice um, really audible in the public domain. And all of this during this pandemic, which itself has exposed all sorts of inequalities. And all of this against the background of a climate emergency, which we know affects poorer nations first and worst. And lately it's made me think about the, when I first started training as a nurse, I'm thinking about my second day on the ward. I had done a late shift and then I had to get up early for an early shift. I had to get up about half past six, which was just unknown territory for me at 18. And um, to my horror, I woke up at half past eight. I'd completely slept through the alarm. Alarms in those days, they would just ring for a bit and then that was that. There was no, um, there was no repeat or anything. So I was um, totally late. I had to wait for the next bus to take me to the hospital where my placement was. And I arrived spectacularly late and was completely roasted by the matron for letting everyone down. Now, looking back, I can't imagine I was going to be much help on my second day, but I guess they were teaching me a lesson about taking responsibility for getting to places on time. I do remember in my 18-year-old self, there was a little bit of me that was thinking, oh, it's not my fault, it didn't wake me up, I slept through the alarm. Um, but actually, of course, it was my responsibility. And I've been thinking of that because I'm thinking, I've been thinking that now, there's kind of an alarm going off about justice, about injustice, and I, I don't want to sleep through it. So this morning will be a bit different. I'm not going to be the person to talk on to you about justice and how to act justly. Uh, we're going to have a discussion and see what different people have to say. To say. So uh, we're going to go visiting. Hold on to your hats. We're off to see quite a lot of people. But first, I, I talked with my good friend, Anna. Um, I thought she might be a good place to start because she's a criminal barrister and a judge. Now, uh, uh, we, we didn't, it didn't work out making a recording of our conversation, but Anna talked about um, her passion for justice being available for everyone. She talked um, about the work of being a voice for the voiceless, whoever they are, often very vulnerable people that she works with maybe asylum speakers, seekers who speak no English, or um, very young girls who've run away from home because of abuse there and end up being exploited um, in this city. And it really struck me when she, when she talked, she was talking about how important it is. If you want to be a voice for someone, you have to really listen to them or it won't be their voice. And she also talked about how, when uh, thinking more widely about challenging injustice, the importance of not rushing, not rushing in with our solutions, um, imposing our solutions to injustice. Um, because if we, if we look at solutions from our point of view, our maybe educated and privileged point of view, um, there are solutions. Um, so what she said was actually that perhaps what we really need to do is think about God's justice first and foremost. What's his view of justice? So I'm, I'm really glad I talked to Anna because I could have gone off in the wrong direction there. So I was thinking about how we can think about God's view of justice and um, 
I thought we could look at this video from the Bible Project. Um, I really love the Bible Project. Their um, animation is great, but also their overarching storylines of God and his people. So we're going to go um, uh, over to watch uh, this, if it works, this, this video about justice. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. Like here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. 
God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Hey, this is John. And That's great. I find that so helpful, actually. I'm sure many of you have seen it before. Um, it does tie in with some of Anna's thoughts on advocating for people without a voice. Um, in our society. So then I thought about Dush and how he works with um, vulnerable and marginalised people and so uh, let's go and visit him and see what he has to say about acting justly. Are you there Dush? Hello, today I'm at my place of work. I'm at the Salvation Army Logos House in Bristol. And I'm actually in one of the bedrooms that we're going to shortly let out to a rough sleeper. So in this room, you have a freshly made bed, you have uh, an ensuite bathroom, and you've got this little area here for um, cooking food uh, with a fridge and a kettle. So it's quite basic. It's, uh, it's not the Ritz, but it's a start and it helps people. Uh, establish themselves uh, in a warm and safe environment off the streets. Now, what's this got to do with acting justly? Well, quite a lot actually. Um, the Salvation Army recognises that where you're born can have a profound effect on your life chances and the lifestyle that you're going to lead. So there are parts of this city where you will, as a child, be exposed to social injustice and economic injustice uh, and economic deprivation. And what happens to you as a child can have a big impact on how your life develops. And if you get off um, with a difficult start, then it's quite hard to put right and it may lead to issues later on in life which can eventually lead to homelessness. Now, the mission statement of the Salvation Army is to save souls, grow saints, and serve suffering humanity. Now, that's interesting because it's in three parts, and the first two parts are very much evangelical. Save souls and grow saints. The third part is really about practical Christianity, serving suffering humanity and we do that uh, beca uh, because it's important that not only do we provide a safe place for somebody to stay but we support them to make significant changes in their life to address some of the injustices that they might have suffered so we support them to improve their well-being their resilience and their health now, for some people, this works really well, and they leave here in much better shape than when they came in. For some, it doesn't work, and at some point in the future, we have to welcome them back for them to have another go. But the important principle is that we recognize that we must support people um, because some people have suffered injustice and 
we're trying to write things by supporting them and giving them hope for the future and acting justly. Thanks, Josh. That's, um, that's given us a really good idea of how actually we might be born advantaged or disadvantaged from birth. And that, that's, that's not a fair um, situation, is it? And there's an example of um, seeking to give everyone that, that dignity, the dignity they deserve, because everyone is made equal in the image of God. And it's an example of seeking out the vulnerable and helping them. Hmm. And then I thought about, I thought about Gwen. I know Gwen is really interested in justice and I, I actually wasn't, um, I hadn't got around to thinking about how I was going to contact her. And then I, I, I bumped into her, well, in a socially distanced sort of way out near the vegetable shop on the high street. And so um, I asked her about, um, about acting justly. And uh, so let's go and see her and see what she's got to say. She's not still at the vegetable shop, I don't think. So God wants us to act justly towards everyone. Just like when Jesus came to earth, he welcomed in people from all sorts of backgrounds, typically the people in that society that no one else really wanted to be with. And he said a, a parable about the sheep and goats. And he said that whenever you welcome in someone who's on the outskirts of society or someone who's in need, you're basically welcoming Jesus. So this like shows us God's heart, like he wants us to be just to people. Um, and this, in Bristol, we have lots of refugees who are here for lots of different reasons, like maybe fleeing a war or poverty and, yeah, many things. And that means that in Bristol, we have a great opportunity to show God's love. So there's like a lot of ways that you can do it. You can just like be welcoming and be nice, not treat anyone like they're on the outside. Um, Learn a bit of, learn some foreign languages, you know, so that, like, if someone doesn't understand something, you can translate. Um, and there's this organisation called Befriend, and me and my family did it, I think, like, last year. And you, like, get paired up with a family who are refugees. So we're paired up from a lovely family from Iraq, and um, it's been so good over the year that we've been with them. Like, they've learnt so much English, and they've really settled into Bristol. And like, it's a really good opportunity. I recommend it so much. And like overall, like when it comes to anyone really, I think just gotta treat them like you're talking to Jesus. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks so much, Gwen. Um, we heard about uh, justice for the immigrant in, um, in the quote from Jeremiah on the, um, Bible project video, didn't we? And of course, that's a major theme for the people of Israel. They've repeatedly taught that they must care for uh, immigrants because they were once strangers in the land. And I know there are several people in Cairns Round who um, care for uh, and welcome asylum seekers in various ways. There's Claire and there's Jan, for example. I liked how Gwen uh, linked this to um, what Jesus said in, in Matthew. Uh, about whatever we do for the hungry and the thirsty, the prisoner or the stranger, we do it for him. Well, Jesus is such a different kind of king, isn't he? He's a king and yet he identifies himself with those people that society really looks down on. Hmm. Anyway, now we're off to see Ailsa, to see what she's got to say about um, what it means to act justly. Um, I'm sorry, Ailsa, your piece starts a few seconds in. The food we choose to buy and eat has a direct bearing on justice issues. The affordability and availability of food is an issue of social justice. The global livestock herd and the grain it consumes takes up 83% of global farmland, but produces just 18% of food calories. The rampant destruction of the natural world is an issue of climate justice. E.g. if all the world's pasture lands were returned to natural vegetation, it would remove about 15% of the world's total greenhouse gas emissions. The overconsumption of meat is an issue of health justice. For example, about £285 billion spent every year around the world is on treating illness caused by eating red meat alone. 
the coronavirus pandemic has brought all of these justice issues, including one I haven't mentioned, animal welfare justice, into sharp focus. But enough of the sombre statistics. The message version of Genesis 1:28 says, prosper, reproduce, fill earth, take charge. Be responsible for fish in the sea and birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Be responsible for, I like that. It's much more helpful than have dominion over. And there's no translation that says, exploit the earth until nothing is left. So what can we, as members of Cairns Row Baptist Church, do about the justice issues related to what we eat? I'm sure you've heard it before. Eat less meat and dairy. And if you're worried about your protein intake, don't be. In rich nations, people commonly eat 30 to 50% more protein than they need. All protein needs can easily be met from plant-based sources, such as beans, lentils, nuts, and whole grains. I'm a pescivore. That means that I don't eat meat, but I do eat fish. Having said that, I have so far failed spectacularly to convert my family to vegetarianism, but I do most of the cooking. So in the past week, we have eaten chilli, made largely from onions and peppers, curried carrot and butter bean soup, beetroot and feta tart, smoked toffee and vegetables in a satay sauce. Three of those are vegan. However, we've also had meat pizzas because it was Cara's birthday, and today we're getting ready to host a barbecue that will include meat. Whenever we buy meat, we try and buy free range and or organic. Yes, I know it's more expensive, but if you're eating less meat anyway, it's an expense you may find you can accommodate. Dairy is inextricably linked with the hugely environmental destructive beef industry, so try dairy substitutions too. You can buy milk, cheese, ice cream and yoghurt made from all sorts of things these days. Almonds, oats, soya. Jonty and Jack are the two dairy-free experts that I know of at Cairns Road. I'm sure they'd be happy to advise you. The Bartons, the Mintons, Mintos and the Wilsons are three other Cairns Road households that I know regularly eat vegetarian food. So ask them for their advice too. So that's a very brief introduction to the justice issues around food and some suggestions for how you can do your bit. If you want to find out more about the justice issues related to what you eat from a Christian perspective, look up the following organisations and people. BeCreatureKind.org, founded by David Clough, Professor of Theological Ethics at the University of Chester and a Methodist lay preacher. He's also founded DefaultVeg.org, which is an organisation encouraging the catering industry to create menus where the vegetarian option is the default. There's also Arosha.org, Ruth Valerio's blog, ruthvalerio.net, and Christian Climate Action. If you know of others, do let me and other people know. Finally, and totally unrelated, I'm in my garden, surrounded by some of the sunflowers that were planted by those of you who are in church for our last Sunday together on the 15th of March. I'm not much of a gardener, but they have represented Cairns Road for me these past few months, and I have very much enjoyed trying to look after them. Thank you for listening. Oh, thanks, Ailsa. So Ailsa's talking about global food security and the health of the planet uh, that God has entrusted to our care. And maybe we don't always hear about this aspect of acting justly, but it's, uh, it's so important, isn't it? Oh, I have to say, I'm quite surprised to hear our household uh, mentioned. Um, though we have widened our vegetarian repertoire um, while our daughters have been uh, living with us during lockdown. I'm not sure what Craig would say if you asked him for advice though. So this is, I think, about God's good creation and um, the abundance of the earth. Uh, there's enough for everyone. So God's plan for justice, for a just world, it must be about the proper sharing of the resources on the earth. And so, listening to Ailsa, I'm thinking that care for creation and responsible um, food consumption is an aspect of loving our neighbour, our neighbours all around the world. So now let's visit Victoria to see what she might have to say about responsible and um, just consumption. Hi Victoria. 
everyone, I'm Victoria and I'm going to be talking briefly about ethical consumption as a practical approach to justice. I just want to start by saying I am not here to guilt trip you or to convict you of wrongdoing. We are all sinners equally saved and redeemed by his grace alone. My prayer is that I inspire you and challenge you rather than discouraging you, inspiring you to hopefully have an introspective and honest conversation with God. Fundamentally, complacency at our end leads to exploitation at theirs. Before we go into pragmatics, there are three things, three theoretical things to consider. We've got recognising what we possess, why we're called to use it for his glory, and recognising the effects of our consumption. So first of all, what do we possess? We need to recognise that everything that we have is God-given. It's a God-given gift. And therefore, we perhaps are called to question whether our spending habits reflect this. We need to recognise why we're called to use it for his glory. As a gift from God, as we've already established, we're called to use it to worship him, to glorify him as an act of obedience. It will require self-sacrifice. And this is in line with the death of the flesh in baptism. But the Bible tells us to rejoice in suffering in Jesus' name, because as Christians, it is our privilege to suffer for Jesus. And then we need to recognise the effects of our consumption. And I would really, really recommend reading Amos 8 after today. Um, and in Amos 8, it's God is speaking to Israel through Amos and he condemns greed for material possessions. He condemns the people who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land. And he condemns those buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. God condemns those buying the poor with silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Just a reminder that Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. Who are we buying with silver and at what cost does, do our sandals come at? Our unguarded consumerism is our unchecked greed and our unchecked greed leads to the kind of poverty, destruction and exploitation that Satan profits from. And we're called to love. We all know it. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It doesn't discourage. It is not self-seeking. In the same passage, Paul tells us, If I have the faith that can move mountains, but I do not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but I do not love, I gain nothing. Does our consumption reflect this love? Finally, how do we do it very pragmatically? And I have managed to whittle it down to four Bs. So hold tight. We've got be informed, boycott, buy ethically and take it to the ballot. So first of all, be informed. I think this is very similar to the reason why we're called so strongly to study our Bibles. I mean, apart from the fact that it's the word of God, um, but we're called to study our Bibles in order to hold us accountable to our convictions and principles in trying situations. And so we're called to do the same here, I think. Uh, we need to do research into A, the principles that lead us to consume ethically, and B, how ethical consumption manifests within the organisations that we support. And uh, this information, this research should help us with our second beat, which is boycott. Um, yeah, this should be informed by our research. And personally for me, um, I don't, I very rarely buy fast fashion or non-fair trade chocolate. And we might not all agree on issues of fair trade brand, um, but that's fine because the Holy Spirit convicts us in different ways and on different issues. We are called to listen and to be obedient. We're called to buy ethically. Personally, I shop pretty much exclusively in charity shops for clothes and presents. But to other people, this might mean different things. And that is fine if that is what God is calling you to do. It might mean supporting local businesses or black owned businesses. But I think we are pretty much always called to consider the ethical origins of our products. And finally, take it to the ballot. 
Political participation is the best thing beyond prayer that we can do for our exploited brothers and sisters. Institutional change needs to happen with consumerism. So let's write to our MPs, sign those petitions and vote according to our convictions, remembering that we do it all by God's strength alone. Brothers and sisters, we have an opportunity, we have an incredible opportunity to exalt God beyond our Sunday worship, to become an outward looking church and to represent God's heart for his people. Complacency, complacency at our end leads to exploitation at theirs. Let's worship in the marketplace. Oh, wow, Victoria, thank you. That's all very challenging. So we're caught up in structures that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. I can hear that alarm going off again, as I'm obviously participating in this unjust society. I liked your four Bs. And I thought, well, actually, unless we're informed, unless we be informed, we can't buy ethically and we don't know what to boycott. And uh, I've always been really interested in fair trade, but I'm, I must admit, I, I woke up to a situation um, recently, probably one that m many of you already knew about. I, I didn't know that, that um, there was such an issue with um, cashew nuts. Um, apparently there's been a huge increase in the consumption of cashew nuts um, in, the, in Europe, because um, they're so healthy, I guess. But what I hadn't realized was um, the exploitation that goes on. Um, the women who process them, mostly poorly paid women, if they're not provided with proper protective gloves or oils for their hands, their hands get burned by the oils that are released when processing the nuts. I don't want to eat nuts that are burning people's hands. So I need to get informed. Hmm, thanks. Well, we've got four more people to see now. But actually they're all in the same household. The Mellis family, they've been thinking about structural and embedded injustice, particularly racial injustice, and how God might be calling us to respond. So um, if you're flagging a bit and you were just thinking of popping out to put the kettle on, don't, don't do it now, you don't want to miss this. During lockdown, we watched the film Cry Freedom. Mum and Dad chose it because it's about Steve Biko, a black activist who was killed in police custody in South Africa during the apartheid era. The film looks at the life of Biko and his friendship with Donna Woods, a white newspaper editor. After Biko's death, Woods is put under police surveillance and knows he must leave South Africa to be able to tell Steve Biko's story. One clip has Donna Woods talking to his life on the beach and saying that publishing a book about the life of Steve Biko is something I can do. Now on to mum. Learning about apartheid made a huge impact on me. I can still remember where and when I first saw the film Cry Freedom and instantly I had that deep conviction that apartheid was wrong. From then on I loved learning about the struggle to end apartheid. Mandela became my hero and visiting Robben Island was a highlight of our visits to South Africa. I was excited about showing the boys this film that had been so influential to me. But as I came away from watching it, I felt God drop a question into my mind. What are the injustices in our city today that we should be fighting against? I know many of you are already in, involved in fighting some of the injustices in Bristol, alleviating loneliness via the seniors' lunch, donating to or delivering for food bank, or fundraising for the 125 project. But I know God's challenge to me means, firstly, I need to get better informed. And my start point is going to be the Mayor's Social Action Plan and the One City Plan for Bristol. Secondly, I need to get to know those who are suffering injustices. Donald Woods could only write Steve Biko's story because he stepped out of his white world and got to know him. Thirdly, I need to consider my circle of influence. Where can I best make a difference? And fourthly, I need to get active. Please would you hold me accountable as I get started on stage one. 
Thanks. In the last few weeks, I've been reading why I'm no longer talking to white people about race. It's a compelling and challenging read written by Rennie Edu Lodge. What the book does is looks at the issue of race in the UK, its history, and then now bring it up to date, looking at how it interacts with issues of gender, class, and economics. So what have I learned? Ignorance is not an excuse that works for any of us. We have to get educated. Structural racism isn't just a US issue, it's an issue here in the UK today. I really think we have to listen and hear the stories of real people who experience racism and we need to get up to speed. The biggest realisation for me is that actually being white has given me many benefits in, in my years of life. I may not have realised this all the time, but I think it's real. This can't be right, and we need to take action. So I'm looking and thinking, what, what can I do? How does this impact my life? First of all, thinking about my workplace. My work is very uh, focused on, on an employment team of white people. So how do we encourage a move to an ethnic mix that's more representative of our society? For church. Our church is in white, wealthy Westbury Park. What do we do about that? How do we engage with that? How do we engage with this issue? I feel very inadequate to engage with this issue. Sometimes naive, certainly unqualified. But we have to start from here. And we have to start a conversation that moves forward. Thank you. After the Black Lives Matter protests in Bristol, I made an animation that captures the moment when Edward Colston's statue comes crashing down. We're going to watch it now, and afterward, Dad is going to say a prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we realise that our society is unfair and that very often life is made much harder by the colour of our skin. Forgive us for our part in this system. Forgive us where we've been ignorant or we've turned a blind eye to racism. Father God, we come to you today asking for change. For change in our institutions, our police, our schools, the places where we work. We pray that you would call us to action so that after COVID has passed, we don't return to normality and talk about, do you remember George Floyd? So Father God, we ask that you'd call us to pray and that you would bring your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Oh wow, thanks. Lovely Mellis family. There's, there's a lot to talk about there. But first I wanted to say how much it resonated with me when Claire talked about our city. And that's partly because the other day I had a telephone conversation with Eric, the pastor of City Road Baptist Church. He's also the chair of the, the um, Churches Together in Bristol. And actually Marky has uh, posted a link on our website to a statement that Eric uh, has made about racial injustice. 
So when I was talking to Eric, he talked to me about all the churches in Bristol, the um, followers of Jesus in Bristol are, um, are doing in pursuit of justice in the city. He said that now is the particular time of opportunity for the church to act. Well, we have Marvin as mayor, and this time won't go on forever, he said. And I thought again about not wanting to sleep through an alarm. He talked about Jeremiah's word uh, for, about God's people working for the well-being and the welfare of the city. And how working for justice is integral to the calling of the church. Barney's animation, that, that so captured that moment um, when that statue came down. It's such a moment in the history of our city, isn't it? All those meetings that must have gone on years ago, a few years ago, and nothing happened. And then one sunny Sunday afternoon, quite peaceably and joyously, it's removed by people who are crying out for justice. And as our city starts to face up to the way it's been telling its history, the story's gone all around the world. Now, Catherine Booth, who founded the Salvation Army, she said that there's no change in the future without disrupting the present. Yeah, it's going to be disruptive. It's about overturning deeply rooted evil, social evils. And one thing that Martin Luther King Jr. said, he said that at times he found himself thinking that the greatest stumbling block in the, in the strides towards freedom is not the KKK, those were the um, out and out racists, but the moderates, the white moderates, who are more devoted to order than to justice, who prefer a negative sort of shallow peace, which is the absence of tension. They prefer that to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. And so as Stu prayed, we want to pray too. We want to pray to God to change these unjust, these unjust structures here and across the world. We want to say, I don't want to carry on participating in a system that promotes me at the expense of other people. They're systems of oppression and those kind of systems, they rob everyone of their humanity. We want to use our resources and what advantages we have to empower others so that other voices might be heard. We want to align ourselves, I guess, with those who are crying out. Because we know that we worship a God who hears the cry of the oppressed. Yeah, we need to keep praying. But oh, yeah, we've, we've covered a lot of ground today. And, and if you're wondering about all of this challenge and thinking how it seems a bit overwhelming actually, I want us just to remember that this is actually an invitation to know Jesus. Because when we follow him, well, he leads the way, he does all the heavy lifting. He knows a lot about disrupting unjust structures. And we have his spirit, we have the Holy Spirit with us. And so when, uh, in, in, um, in, in the New Testament, when a religious scholar um, of the day, uh, he comes to try and catch Jesus out and asks him about eternal life. This, this was, I guess, one of the ruling class, the ruling elite of the day, I suppose. Somebody really invested in maintaining the status quo. Jesus wasn't fooled. He's not interested in complicated religion that says more about people than it says about God. Jesus' answer is just so simple. He says, love God and love your neighbour as yourself. Then you'll have life, true life new life in him. He even goes on to define neighbour with an example of an outsider. And so I want this to be the beginning of a conversation. Um, yeah, we've covered a lot of ground. There's lots to talk about here. Um, as we look at practical ways of acting justly and not just individual um, commitments that we might want to make, but um, I really, it really resonated me, with me, with Claire. Let, let's join together and see what, how we can make a response to God's call as a community. 
And so um, we're going to sing a hymn together as a response. Um, it's, it's the old Irish hymn, Be Thou My Vision, because it's about um, the fact that Jesus is our vision for justice. And so James and Abby and Ruth and uh, Richard have, have, have come together in a virtual choir to lead us. So um, let's take this time to uh, respond and to commit our lives to following Jesus. Thank you so much, Helen, for uh, your input and the work that you have put uh, together to bring this team. Uh, thank you also, James, for that uh, lovely um, arrangement of the hymn there. Um, I, I'd like for us to, to pray a little bit because I think we have been um, presented with a lot of information and there's lots to, to digest. And I just want to, for us to take a moment now to pause and then we, we will pray um, together. Father God, thank you for this challenge that you have set for us as a church during this time. And Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have today to understand that Micah 6, 8 is more than just a catchphrase, is more than just good words. And it requires that change of heart, that new life, that invitation to follow you. So, Lord, I just pray that you're going to help us as you demand this from us, that you're going to help us. But I just want to start at that place, Lord, that we confess and we repent of those places when we have taken advantage. 
who have not, we, we have not dealt well with justice. We want, Lord, to be freed up from that feeling of complacement. And, Lord, would you help us to consider your ways, even though the, the flow of the traffic of the world is not that. Lord, I pray that we just don't only talk about this, but we will be able and enabled by your Spirit to be not only the speakers of justice, but the doers of justice. Lord, I pray that you're going to help us to reflect, to radiate, to manifest your character. And you are a good and a righteous and a God of justice. Lord, we can't do this. We are already overwhelmed with the things that we have not done. We can't do this on our own strength, Lord. But thank you that the invitation is yours to change our hearts. Lord, if we are awake, help us to continue to be awake. If we're asleep and we're just sleeping through that alarm, would you wake us up with your spirit? And would you be today our vision? We said that in our hearts, Lord, that we want you to be our vision. And as Claire, Lord, reminded us that it's not only that individual element, Lord, but help us to keep one another accountable as we pursue justice, as we love mercy, and as we walk humbly with you. You've done it in the past, Lord. You're doing it today, and there is nothing that can stop you to do it tomorrow. Help us, Lord. We want to do. We want to act justly. We want to love mercy. We want to walk humbly with you. In Jesus' name, amen.